Blog Talk Radio. That's it. <laughs> yes, sir. We're ready to go, boys. Another Wednesday night. Welcome to uh, Sports Conversation. As we look to it on Fort Fighting Network, we've got our normal guests in line, as we normally do. Roger Henry, I spoke just to just a minute ago. He's in Atlanta. Had been back in Philadelphia last week and really got the flavor of the Eagles as we look forward to the Kansas City game. And, of course, our gentlemen in the uh, Tampa, as always, Roy Cummings, and we'll get to him in just a second. I'll see whether uh, our executive producer, Frank Carroll, has a dedication tonight or no. Frank? Yes, Don. Don, uh, as you know, these programs are always dedicated to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces and the men and women Police and Fire Services. Since the beginning of the year, 125 officers have been taken down, either shot, or run over, or punched, or whatever, uh, and that's just since the beginning of the year. And unfortunately, we've buried 19 officers. Um, this is a trend that just can't keep going on, but in, the best we can do at this point is dedicate this program to them and their families. Well, we look forward to a great show tonight. We've got some really good guests coming in to talk about a number of different sporting events. Before we go to Roy Cummings in Tampa and talk about the Super Bowl game, which obviously is going to take dominance tonight as we depart to the Eagles in Kansas City. But just want to make mention uh, uh, that the Florida podcast, uh, sports podcast, Ira Coffin is going to be or has been their major guest this week. And a nice article in the paper about Ira and his presentation at the podcast with the Florida Sports Network. So if you have a chance on USA to Take a listen to that. Uh, a lot of great information talks about some of the things that have happened in the past and some of the things that are going to happen. And I guess uh, what he also thinks about what the Bucks are going to do coming up. So we want to give Ira a salute for a great show, and I hope people have a chance to tune in on the podcast, USA Network. You'll get a chance to listen to it. Secondly, we never talk NBA basketball, or almost never on this show. But I don't know how many people stayed up last night long enough to watch uh, LeBron James set the record. Uh, it was quite a performance, even though the Lakers lost. Uh, quite a celebration at midcourt. Uh, Commissioner Silver was out there, and they held the game up for about 15 minutes and had quite a presentation for LeBron James. And as we all know, as uh, basketball fans in the past, not so much today for the NBA, but in the past, uh, a, a terrific uh, uh, the old record uh, uh, was uh, 31-4-19 by Wilt. Then it was 38-3-87 by Kareem, and that was broken last night. So uh, I hope some of you had a chance to see it. Uh, quite a presentation. We'll swing around now to football because uh, the Super Bowl is the story of the day. They're sold out sponsor-wise. Three 
or I should say uh, three. It's, uh, yeah, it's a million dollars, six million dollars for three minutes. Six million dollars for three minutes. Uh, Budweiser has the biggest portion. They've got a two-minute spread over the game. But, gentlemen, uh, a lot of anticipation. Still stays at one and a half. Eagles, Roy, let's start with you in Tampa. Yeah, obviously it's uh, it's an exciting time. Uh, you know, we uh, we wait all season for this, and uh, we got a great matchup. Uh, clearly, in my opinion, I think the two best teams uh, in each conference. Um, I mean, obviously you have to say that about the Eagles. Uh, I think a lot of people would argue that maybe the 49ers are a little bit better, but you know what? Uh, a lot of it has to do with who, who stays healthy and uh, who can come through their injuries the best, and, uh, and clearly the Eagles have. So, um Got to like that, and you know we've got a got a couple of superstars on the rise here in this game. Uh, in, in Jalen Hurts, obviously, and, and Patrick Mahomes, who's already a superstar. Uh, big opportunity here for both of these guys, and uh, you know it's just a great matchup. And to me, one of the more intriguing things is um, the fact that Andy Reid is on the other side of the field for uh, against the Eagles. I, I just think to me that's that's really one of the more intriguing things, and I'm anxious to hear uh, from Roger and, and you guys. You know, what is what is the talk in uh, Philadelphia about the fact that, uh, well, here we are. I guess it's maybe <laughs> the, the fourth trip at least. Uh, am I right about that for uh, Andy Reid to the Super Bowl since uh, yeah. at least the third? Uh, since well, Roger was in Philly last week for the Sports Writers Banquet well, and okay. uh, also has close contact with the folks at WIP who are all out along with Billy Warndell, our colleague, are all out in Arizona right now. And So, Roger, let's jump right in because you're right on top of it. Well, I would say, Roy, uh, the term would be controlled confidence. Uh, they uh, talked about it. They had, people were very confident about it, but in a controlling manner, you know, rather than being just over the top uh, confident. Uh, and and what you do is, you know, if you hear from people that I really respect. Uh, I love the way Brian Baldinger uh, lays it out, you know, matchups and everything. And if you look at the number of uh, position players that the Eagles have over the Chiefs, like defensive line, okay, offensive line, they have more, uh, more uh, quality players, uh, at least on paper, uh, than Chiefs do. But the Chiefs have – Patrick Mahomes, and, you know, he can do a lot of things. So uh, it, it should be an intriguing uh, game. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people. The, they did a survey last week on the morning show on WIP because Angelo Vitale is not a fan of Andy Reid, and it was 78% uh, felt that uh, Andy is really a good coach, great coach. So even yeah. though uh, he never, never won a Super Bowl, they, they do respect him and like him. The fans. Yeah, I would think 78% would be the number, or maybe even higher. I mean, again, what I'm wondering is, you know, is there any, uh, you know, seller's remorse in uh, in Philadelphia? The fact that, okay, you got back to the Super Bowl finally, good. Uh, that's great for the Eagles. Um, but, you know, Andy Reid's been there a lot more than, than the Eagles have. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, is there anyone, and granted, he's done it with, with a quarterback, but is there any feeling that maybe uh, letting Andy Reid go was, was, was a mistake? And, you know, it's easy to look back with, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. but at the end of the day, uh, does anybody really think that, I mean, this was a mistake to, to have let uh, now two coaches go that uh, 
have got you at least gotten you to the Super Bowl at once at one point? No, Roy and Roger both. Uh, you know, there was such a controversy going out with the quarterback problem. Uh, what was going to happen? And the transition over the last three years, how Howie was done from uh, not really developing anybody, and then all of a sudden, in uh, a one-year period, as Roger has pointed out, between trades and drafts, has come up with one of the outstanding teams, complete teams, in a long time in the National Football League. So I, I don't think it's a matter of they missed the fact that that uh, Reed did not stay with the Philadelphia Eagles. I think it's more of a surprise, the transition from the Super Bowl the Eagles won until the Super Bowl the Eagles are going into on, on Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening now. I mean, who, who thought that the quarter of the uh, coach of the Philadelphia Eagles would be the coach that he is today? Roger? Well, absolutely. And uh, you know what the, the feeling is, Roy? No. Uh, they felt that it was time for uh, Andy to go. He had had a lot of opportunities uh, to get them to the Super Bowl, and he only made it one time. And they were favored to beat the Pats in that game. And they, uh, they blew it. Uh, and uh, just like the Falcons uh, blew it against the Patriots. Uh, so, you know, no, Andy's time was up. He, you know, he got out in the Midwest. It was the, probably the best thing for him. I think the other thing, uh, there's, there's a, the uh, other factor is look at all the personal tragedy uh, that uh, he had when he was in Philadelphia. The son uh, died of an OD up at Lehigh during training camp. And now the other uh, son who was in trouble uh, back and was given a, a second chance. He was at Temple and then with the uh, Eagles, he's in jail. Okay, uh, so uh, there's just a lot of personal things, and I think uh, the best thing for Andy was to get out of Philadelphia and start anew. Now, on deck, and also, Roger, and the fact that they were in trouble while he was coaching the Eagles as well. Oh, they were. What happened. You know, this, is, oh, this no. was long running with the two boys. Exactly. But then I, when you talk about Doug Peterson, Doug Peterson is loved and always will be loved. And they feel that the Eagles screwed him when they fired him because of a, uh, a difference of opinion on a, about what the offense was. And, you know, Carson Wentz was all involved in, in that and everything. But uh, everybody's happy. Jeffrey Lurie is a big fan of Doug Peterson. He was cheering the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars on. And I think it just shows what a great coach Doug is with what he, how he turned around Lawrence and the, uh, the Jaguars in one year to make the playoffs. Well, also the fact that he's right there for coach of the year. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, he, he went from a, the beginnings of 2022 with a disaster. And, of course, with a friend of ours who coached the Temple Owls for such a long time and then had great success at Baylor and then went down to Carolina and it just didn't work out for him. And Doug came in and took over a team that was in dire straits and got it to the playoffs, Roy. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, he's done a remarkable job, obviously. And, uh, you know, again, it, it, it just it goes to show you, I mean, you need a couple of pieces and the quarterback is one. Um, you've got that, and uh, you got a darn good one there in Jalen Hurts, and you've got the you know the tight end. You got to have that those weapons. And but Roy, got they, the one thing able... about the Eagles, they've had three coaches. You know, you start with with Reed, you know, 
and then you go to Doug, and then you go where we are now. I mean, they've had three coaches in the last five years or three top coaches in the National Football League. Yeah, obviously they've uh, they've done a good job there. I mean, again, that's that's why I was interested in what you know what the feeling is about Andy Reid because I mean, it's not like you you pick bad coaches. I mean, you you know it's it's pretty hard to do to uh, in such a short period of time to you know to roll the dice with a new coach and 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 uh, you know hit hit it the way they have. Uh, so you know they've been very fortunate there. And again, I, I think you got to give credit to the general manager and. Uh, the way they built this team, and uh, look, there was a lot of controversy when Jalen Hurts was uh, named the quarterback. Some people thought it was the right move, some thought it wasn't, um, but it's proven to be the right move for sure uh, because he's got him there. And, and really, that's that's the biggest thing is you got to get there. You know, um, guys, where do you see the strengths for the Eagles here? I mean, obviously, this defense is a is a big part of it. Um, how do you think this defense uh, handles Patrick Mahomes? Roger, well. I, I would say one thing: the uh, the Eagles' uh, defensive line uh, is has a lot of depth, uh, much more than the Chiefs, and uh, because you can shuttle in uh, linemen, uh, you know Sue uh, and and others. And the guy that I really uh, am impressed with, uh, and I know uh, Don, you're familiar with him, Hassan Reddick. Uh, he took less money to come and play for the Eagles than he could have made leaving Carolina. And he wanted to be uh, close to home where he grew up so his family could come out to see him. And uh, I think, didn't he lead the league in uh, in sacks? I think he had 11, as I recall. And uh, he, I think, is the key uh, to... Uh, to controlling Mahomes, I really do. You're right about that. He did. He took uh, in the 40 million bracket. Of course, he got lucky too because uh, you know at the time, first of all, he's out in Arizona for you know he played at Temple. He he played for for uh, uh, Rule, so he he, yeah. he he knew what kind of a player he was. And then he got him in, in Carolina, but then they didn't want to pay because they were going to spend all that money for a new quarterback, so they didn't sign him. And of course, the Eagles got a shot to sign him, and right now he's on the edge. And he's he's been uh, look what he did in the championship game against the uh, against the Forty Niners. I mean, unbel- not, not just that he knocked the quarterback out. I don't mean that, but the fact of what his what his impact on the game. He was the most important player in the game. Yeah. What do you think, Roy? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's any question he's the most important player in the game. I mean, look, you get to a matchup like this, and you don't find it. There aren't too many weaknesses. You know, every team's got a strength, and, and plenty of them. And this is one of those cases where, look, the, the Eagles' offensive line is probably a, as strong as, uh, the, as, as the Chiefs' pass rush. I think the pass rush for the Eagles is, as you said, uh, Roger, a little bit better. Um, when you can start bringing Dominick Sue in, uh, you know, off the bench, uh, to give you a break, uh, you know, late in the game, that's going to be important. I think it's going to be one of the more important things is, you know, how these guys are utilized throughout the course of the game. Uh, well, Roy, you saw uh, Dominic Sue down here, and primarily, primarily Dominic Sue is a guy that guards the line of scrimmage. I mean, you're, he's not going to get a lot of sacks, but I'll tell you one thing, you're going to run by him too many times. Well, that's what I mean. I mean, you bring in a guy, uh, and if he's fresh, and, 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 you know, again, this is what I was getting to is, 
you know, how do you do, how do you utilize those guys? Because you've got to get out, you've got to get after the, the quarterbacks here. Uh, it, it's not easy to do because they're both very mobile. Uh, you, you really got to be disciplined and smart. But you know what? These two defensive lines are, and these two front sevens, in essence, are very disciplined and smart. A lot of veterans here, a lot of guys who know what they're doing. Um, you know, you won't, you're going to be amped up early on, and, and you got to avoid that. You really have to avoid that because you don't want to go too deep after these guys. You got to really got to, you know, there's going to be a certain, you know, you're, you're going to rush, you know, five yards in and, and probably, you know, just what you want to do is cut off those exit lanes and try to bottle up uh, both quarterbacks because you don't want them running on you. But um, I just think the defensive line to me is that's where the key is going to be in this game. It, can somebody get to uh, to Patrick Mahomes? Can somebody get to uh, Jalen Hurts? If you, if you, whichever team can get to the quarterback, I mean, who knows? Maybe both teams will get to the quarterback. It may end up being a, a low-scoring game, and I think most people were expecting a high-scoring game. I don't know what the over-under is, but um, at the end of the day, I could see it going either way. Uh, so, you know, it, it may come down to which quarterback is able to uh, freelance best uh, against that pass rush. We know that Patrick Holmes can do an exceptional job, uh, throw it underhand, throw it uh, sideways, sidearm. He'll, he'll figure out a way to complete it, whereas I think Jalen Hurts is much better at uh, creating with his legs. Um, then, uh, and certainly, obviously, that's going to be an issue for Mahomes uh, coming off the uh, the injury. I mean, he's, I don't, I still, I doubt he's going to be 100. percent And I'm sure Jalen Hurts will tell us he's not 100. percent But again, for two for two weeks uh, there at the end of the uh, in the championship game and the game before that, we saw what Jalen Hurts, who's not 100, percent looks like. And boy, as as I said uh, a couple times, uh, I don't know what 100 percent looks like if that's not 100 percent because he looked pretty darn good. So. Um, the quarterbacks are obviously the stars here, but I can see other stars emerging from the other side of the ball on both teams for sure. Roger, 50.5 is the over-under. And, uh, go ahead. Yeah, well, you know, when you were talking about the Philadelphia fans are asking about it, uh, they just showed Jerry Jones on the NFL Network because they're going to have the honors tomorrow night. But I'll tell you, Roy, that's when Jerry came out and said that uh, the uh, the Rams and the Eagles had emptied the uh, the pool or whatever you, you term he used for the talent. Boy, was he off base because the Eagles have players that they are just grooming to replace some of the veterans. And I'm thinking about Jordan Davis. Uh, he's gotten some you know playing time, but he's the massive guy in the middle. Uh, that uh, you know they brought along, and the uh, the uh, uh, the outstanding uh, uh, linebacker from Georgia, who's got special teams play this year, but they've got groomed him for the future. So, and then they have two uh, two picks in the first round. So, I mean, Jerry's a little off base. He's right about the Rams, but he's not <laughs> right about the Eagles. And you're right about that. And boy, should we be surprised that Jerry's off base a little bit? Uh, nothing new there. I, I think he's off base with that entire football team. Yeah, <laughs> that team well, is I a think mess. It's going to be and he's responsible too. for is, it. Is Mahomes like he is, is going to be as good right. as it? Is it going to be as good as it was before the high ankle sprain? He's had a week now. He played, of course, in the championship game and played well. He's now had another week to have it worked on. So I'm assuming. It's got to be relatively close to uh, to 100 percent, but uh, uh, you know, in the case of Hurst, he, he runs the ball to run the ball, and but 
I think in the case of Boone, he's not got not doesn't run the ball necessary to run it. He runs the ball to get free to throw it to somebody else. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, he's going to have to have that mobility to be the effective player that he is. There's no doubt. And and Don, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. I, it's a high ankle sprain. These things take several weeks to heal. Right. And I don't think he did himself any favors in the championship game. Granted, he's had two weeks to, to recover. I know for a fact that he has received treatment every single day. Uh, he's probably missed a couple of days of practice over that period of time because he doesn't need to practice. He doesn't need to be on that angle. Um, I'm sure he's out there at times because he's going to have to, you know, somehow stay sharp. You can really get uh, – and, and that will be something to watch because how much practice time has he had? He's probably had less than he normally would have during this stretch uh, as a result of that ankle because you just want to stay off of it as much as you can. You know, is he, you know, is he rusty in any way? I, I think he right. could be, and that's something that I think uh, the Eagles could, er- could take advantage of early. Uh, I, this is a game where, you know, I, I don't know that taking a two-score lead early necessarily, you know, really puts you up in, in that great of a position unless it's the Eagles against Mahomes because I don't know that Mahomes forced to play from behind will be as good as Jalen Hurts can be playing from behind. I, I think there's more takeaway ability. No, you think he also has to be smart. He's got to protect himself. I mean, he can't, he can't, especially in the first uh, first half and into the third quarter. He can't yeah. put himself in a position where he can get smashed by two or three different people from different directions. He's got to be smart enough to understand. He's got to get down and he's got to get out of bounds and he's got to protect that ankle. Uh, whereas in the case of Hurts, he doesn't. I don't think that he has to be protective of the shoulder. I think the shoulder's got to be 100% now. Roger? Yeah. Well, I agree, but Mahomes is, uh, turn, this does turnovers much more uh, than Jalen Hurts does. But, uh, you know, one of the other uh, underlying factors, and I don't know if you saw some of the press conference today uh, on Nick Sirianni, uh, but they, he was asked about uh, any feelings towards Andy Reid because Andy fired him. And, uh, you know, he was the wide receivers coach for the, uh, under the former administration with the uh, Chiefs. And Nick said, no, absolutely not. He said uh, he, he, his assistant head coach was the wide receivers coach, and he says, that's the job I have. And he said, when you get into this business, you expect to move around a few times, and it's just the nature of the business. But just to show the way he's so down to earth, uh, they had uh, his day at his high school today in western New York, and they said, well, were you surprised about that? And he says, no, he says, uh, I sort of expected it because my brother and sister-in-law teach at that high school. I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought that was a great response. They made sure he's, he's, thing, he's, Roy, he's been he's remembered. Had tremendous success in utilizing his fourth down on relatively short, let's say, oh, two yards, yes. three yards, even less, uh, all during his career coaching the Philadelphia Eagles. He goes, he goes for the gold. How about in this yeah, game? It, What's your thought there? Oh, absolutely. That's going to be a weapon, guys, and both teams will use it. Um, yeah. I, I won't be surprised at all. If you get into that no-man's land, you know, where you're at your opponent's uh, 42 or something, uh, and, and it's, you know, third and four, third and, you know, third and three, or fourth and, fourth and four, fourth and three, I, I see both teams taking the chance and going for it. I, I look, I, it's one of the great things I think about this, this matchup is that both teams are very aggressive. They're not afraid 
to put their offense out there in a situation like that. Uh, and it's because they both have a defense that they can rely on to stop the other team as well should it fail. But uh, I think both teams are very confident, both sides of the ball, um, that uh, they're going to take some chances. And you're, I think you're going to see both teams take that chance. I, I won't be surprised at all. In fact, I don't know. I'm sure it's a prop bet somewhere. Uh, and somebody, you know, maybe some listener can uh, let us know somehow. But uh, I'd like to know what the prop bet is on the over-under on fourth down attempts uh, for both teams. Uh, my, my guess is it's probably somewhere around five. Because I, I think well, both I teams will, will attempt it. Because he, uh, he leads the league. He's going for fourth down opportunities. So, Roger, yeah. you're and, up. And, well, he should. And, well, he should. Yeah, and you, you, you're right, Roy. Well, let me tell you, I stayed up late last night to watch the replay of the uh, Patriots-Eagles uh, Super Bowl of five years ago. That was a mistake because it was like till midnight. However, when you watch the Philly special on a fourth down play, and, uh, and you know, and you, you heard how Michaels and Chris Collinsworth, that's yards, yard, you know, uh, yard, backyard play. But you know what? Wouldn't it be something if the Philly special came into play in this game? You know, you never know. Yeah. Oh, I think I think something like that could happen. It wouldn't surprise me at all if, uh, if they've got that play in. It wouldn't surprise me at all if both teams have it in. Uh, because yeah. they've got the personnel to run it, number one. Um, but that's one of the – again, when you look at this matchup, that's one of the things that I think is, again, very exciting, is you have two teams here that are not just aggressive and capable of doing odd things, but they're going to go out there, and they're gonna, there's going to be some backyard football here. Uh, there's going to be play – I mean, there always is. There's always, you know, bro- broken plays where guys have to find ways to get open. But I won't be surprised at all if we see a couple of plays that, are, that look like backyard plays, and they're planned. I mean, again, you got two weeks here. You got to show somebody something different, and I think both uh, both teams very capable of being very uh, very aggressive, very unique, and very creative uh, offensively. So you're going to see some backyard football here, and it's going to be planned. It's not just going to be a breakdown of a play in front of them. It's going to be planned. Well, we will get one more question for you, Roy, with uh, Roger and. Uh... Uh, Brian Breeson is ready to come on and talk a little bit about the Lightning and what's going on in the National Hockey League, which we're now getting into the season with, what, 30 games to go, getting <laughs> down toward the stretch. But uh, how about the special teams? I, I'm very interested to see whether they kick the ball in the end zone and everybody takes it out on the 25, or whether they kick the ball short and make the kick returners return the ball. Roger, I'll let you take it first. Go ahead. Well, uh, when you saw the uh, the replay last night, that's exactly what they did to make sure that there wasn't a run back to give Brady uh, a great field position. And as it turns out, they tried to run that trick play. So I'm with you. I really think that uh, they'll try to keep uh, the uh, run backs uh, from happening. And uh, But, you know, who knows? How about you, Roy? Roy? I, I like the idea of kicking it short and challenging uh the return unit, but what I don't like is it's just a it's just a a natural penalties just too often occur, and I think if I'm the if I'm, if I'm the kicking team, I'm just kicking it deep and I'm saying I'll oh, get the defense out there. I don't want to lose a key special teams guy uh, on that play. And I, I know that sounds a little bit you know playing it safe, and you got Brian Breesman coming coming on who knows it's safe as death because we all know that from the old John Tortorella days. But at the end of the day, guys, I just think that, um, look, you've come this far. You don't want to lose key players 
on kickoffs. Um, you're confident in both sides to do the job, but at the end of the day, just kick it deep. Let let them take it to 25. See see if they can go 75 yards without uh, without screwing it up. I, I think both teams will probably take that approach more often than not. Roy, we'll let you finish up this half hour with a one-word answer. Defer for the kick or take the ball? I defer. With the defenses that are out there, uh, yes, you've got to be conscious of, of the, the offensive attack, uh, the creativity, as we talked about, uh, the two quarterbacks, but I defer. You, you want to go out there and, some you, look, you want that ball in the second half. You want to change the momentum in the second half. A lot of things can happen in that first possession, but if you give up a touchdown in that first first, first possession of the, first, of the game, uh, at the end of the day, what, where are you? You're down 7 nothing, maybe 3 nothing. Uh, if it's a field goal, and you've got plenty of time to come back. You've, you've got you know, at least, you know, you've usually got, you know, 15 minutes to come back. So um, I think having possession of the ball starting the second half always more important than having it at the beginning of the first half. If I win the toss, I'm deferring. Roy Cummings, thank you very, very much. Always terrific the first half hour, and we'll have a chance to go all over it and pick everybody's mistakes up next Wednesday night. But uh, – <laughs> Thank you very much. As always, it's a great pleasure. We can only hope fun, it's guys. a good game. Enjoy it. Have a great All week, right. Roy. Before Thanks, I bring guys, Brian in, your answer to that question as well, Roger, defer or don't defer? Well, I would defer, too. I, I agree okay. with Roy. Okay. Let's bring Brian Breeze in right now, marketing manager for the Lightning, and, of course, been with the Lightning as the vice president as well. Boy, they played, have had a tough game, yes. Yesterday night, Brian, we're bringing in on one of their worst games of this of the season. But uh, give us a little impetus going into the big part of the season right now and uh, the trading deadline. And how, how do you how do you think the team is lined up for the last thirty games? First of all, good evening, boys. Second good evening, of all, it's Brian. hard it's hard to follow the best dressed media member in the Bay Area, Roy Cummings. <laughs> He has he the, the sharpest uh, collection. Brooks of Brothers. Coats. He goes off buys all his clothes at Brooks Brothers. Yeah, he's got <laughs> the sharpest collection of uh, sports coats uh, that, that's probably in, in in the Southeast United States. And a class uh, act yeah. wearing it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but to answer your question, I mean, obviously it's not uh, how we drew it up uh, coming out of the All Star break. Typically, we have started slow coming out. So the, the game in, in Florida on Monday uh, was obviously uh, we didn't show up the way we wanted to. It's not much getting mince words about it. It's kind of, uh, I think the score speaks for itself. One team showed up, the other one didn't. Uh, obviously last night uh, we were in control and we responded the way we wanted to in the first 20. And then as Coop said last night after the game, it turned into a, a special teams battle. Um, which we ended up uh, losing in overtime. Um, so obviously, little concern there, especially with uh, the kind of gauntlet that we have coming up here. We host the uh, defending champ, uh, Colorado Avalanche, tomorrow night uh, at Amelie before hitting the road and playing in Dallas on on Saturday afternoon uh, against the top team in the West, and then going and facing the Avalanche again, and then going to Vegas. Um, so obviously, there's a uh, there's a lot of uh, tough opponents coming up as well. So hopefully try and uh, stop the leaking here tomorrow uh, in front of the home fans. Um, obviously the first time that the Lightning have played the Avalanche since uh, since the Stanley Cup final last, last year. Roger? 
Well, it uh, it is tough because uh, you know the Lightning, you know they just have a great uh, history and but th- those West Coast tours on for any team are are tough, aren't they, Brian? Yeah, I mean uh, they're tough on the PR guy. I can only imagine what they're tough on the on the players. Uh, you know, just being so far, managing the time change, families uh, back home, obviously hours depending on you know if you're in Mountain Time, Pacific, whatever. Um, it's difficult, and uh, I think the players would tell you that, but they do their best to try and, you know, stay in touch with their with their family. And and uh, But at the end of the day, it's a business trip, and you have a job to do. We've won plenty of games out there and in, in the other time zones out west, and we just got to find a way to do it again. Ron, as you look up and down on the east, Eastern Division, uh, boy, the, the, the closest, I mean, you look at the Rangers, the Islanders, the Devils, uh, I mean, uh, there's never been more close competition. The only team that has stretched has been the Bruins. But Boston has played super. They lost a couple of games, but, I mean, they played super all year. What a consistency they put on the ice. Yeah, they're having a good year. Um, you know, once the playoffs come, it, you know, it, we we learned that in 2019, uh, you know, what, what happens in the regular season doesn't matter once the playoffs start. So, um, I think the, the key is for, for us or any team, the Bruins or anybody, is to be hot at the right time. When, when the season ends and the second season begins in the playoffs, that's when you want to be really firing on all cylinders um, so you can give yourself the best chance uh, at winning that Stanley Cup, which is obviously the end goal. Uh, but we're, trying to, we're just trying to get in. You know, our, our, the division, uh, our division, the Atlantic division, is extremely tough. Um, you know, I don't know. I haven't looked at it and looked at it today, but I know uh, a few weeks ago, you know, the top three of the top, you know, five teams were were in our uh, division. We were in the we were right. the third the third best team in the Eastern Conference, and you know, the other teams, the other the top two teams were the other teams in front of us in our division. The other division wasn't even there. I think Carolina's uh, slid in there, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's extremely you know, parity is is a real thing, and the salary cap has has done its job and. It's, it's tough to be that far ahead uh, of everybody else. Boston, uh, Boston's a good team, but, I mean, I, we've seen them here a few t- times here recently. You know, we, we just beat them uh, right going going into the All-Star break. Uh, so, I mean, I think everybody is, uh, you know, for the most part on a level playing field. It's just uh, can you get that effort, you know, night in and night out and get that consistency. And I think that's the hardest thing that teams uh, try to find throughout the season. Roger? Well, I'll tell you, Brian, looking at the standings, uh, you know, Bruins have 83 points, the late Maple Leafs 70, and then uh, the the uh, uh, Lightning have 66. Carolina's got 76, just like you were alluding to. And then uh, the Devils 70, and then the Rangers 64. But what's interesting is in the wild card, Washington and Pittsburgh are in, but only at 60 and 59 points. Well, the Islanders have 59, and then Buffalo and Florida 56, Ottawa 51, and the Flyers 51. But the the point, the the real stat that really sticks out to me is that the Lightning only have two overtimes, and the Flyers have had nine, and that they they have more than anybody uh, other than Pittsburgh. They have nine also. And I think that's really an interesting fact. How do you feel that uh, plays into it? You mean like overtime wins? Yeah. Well, overtime 
uh, uh, losses, actually. Yeah, because in the standings, there's wins, losses, and then overtime, overtime yeah. losses. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously it's important um, in the standings to get that that extra point uh, in overtime, even even if you win. I mean, I, I think um, you know, case in point, uh, last night, you know, we we were we're in a tied game in the last 30 seconds of the game. You know, we give up uh, a breakaway to a very dangerous player in Timo Meyer, and you know, luckily he uh, he hit the post, um, and we were able to to salvage that single point. You know, those points always come in handy you know you, you never know what uh what, what things are going to come down to whether it comes down to home ice and the playoffs or making the playoffs in general um obviously brian Brees, our special guest this half hour and brian just following up on what roger's question was uh there seems to be a a great deal of sentiment especially with the players that they want to get away from the shootout they want to extend the overtime period and try to limit the shootout as much as they possibly can your thoughts yeah, I, I don't know if we've really heard um, specific comments from the Players Association on that. I, I know it came up at the Board of Governors uh, meeting to to extend that. Um, what where there's a lot of concerns about there. Obviously, you're extending your top line players. Your, your top players are going to play those extra minutes in the in the overtime, and the, especially if you extend it. I believe what the commissioner said too is his concern is that the uh, uh, overtime was going to go into uh, longer than five minutes that he would want to flood. So that's part of the concern as well is, is ice integrity. Currently we don't zam the ice um, after the third period going into overtime because it's just five minutes. But uh, the commissioner said if we were going to extend that, that he would want to zam the ice um, just to maintain, maintain that ice integrity. Um, so that obviously adds a little bit more time to the game. Um, you're looking at, you know, another 10, 15 minutes before they start overtime. So there's obviously a lot of concerns and things that, that they're looking at. Um, you know, the, the league and the, and the board of governors are always looking at ways to improve the game and that they're going to continue that. That's not going to change. Um, I don't know that we'll see extended overtimes here in the, in the, in the immediate future. I'm sure those, um, those conversations will continue and they'll, you know, if it gets to the point, they'll, they'll first try it out in the, uh, in the American hockey league and the minors and, and some of the other summer leagues. But um, I don't see that happening here in the NHL in the near future. Roger. Uh, the, I, I think that was a good point. The commissioner made though, I, I would be for that, for the safety of the players uh, to uh, have a cleaning of, of the, uh, the ice, uh, the, uh, Brian, I wanted to ask because the, the on a business side, which I know you're obviously involved in, uh, how has the new TV uh, package uh, been accepted? Has it been a, a plus uh, for the uh, the league with the Wednesday night TNT and then you know the ESPN games, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously you know the ESPN brand and TNT, you know, they've done a great job and have really put a ton of resources into the, into the product, especially if you look at TNT, you know, they're, they're really trying to emulate what they've done in, uh, for the NBA. Um, obviously they have some big personalities in the NBA and they're, they're doing that with uh, Paul Bissonnette, Biz Nasty and uh, in the NHL desk as well. So, I mean, they're making it entertaining. You know, they've, they've had come down here and shot features and stuff with some of their talent. Um, ESPN obviously is doing a ton. They, they are the, uh, the, the all the all-star game here this past uh, weekend and down in sunrise. 
um, you know, both skills competition and the game itself. Um, last year they, they aired t- uh, less games. They're airing more games this year, so the viewership's a little bit spread out. Um, and the, the ratings reflect that. But I think the, the sheer number of people watching the game and being exposed to the game uh, has, has risen exponentially with this, with this new agreement. If you look at, you know, they have the, the show The Point where, you know, there's a weekly hockey show uh, for fans on ESPN. So just being on, just being on there and having buy-in and, and being on, you know, you know, Scott Van Pelt, we do interviews with him after games. Um, just being part of, of the ESPN family really raises, uh, the visibility of the league overall. Consistency, too. Ryan, yeah, Ryan, exactly. uh, Ryan uh, Roger brought up another, a couple of good points. Said, uh, going back to the Flyers, of course, we we grew up with the Flyers in Philadelphia. We're up in Sarasota yeah, now. But, a flyer, is this a Flyers show or what? It hasn't been very much about the Flyers the last few years, but uh, yeah. I, I'm a little disappointed with, uh, I thought there'd be more of a, a turnaround because uh, I, I think they've got a great coach. I, I, I know he uh, has times where he's overbearing a little bit, but I, I thought he'd have a little bit more of a turnaround than he's had. Well, you know, the coach is only as good as his players. Um, <laughs> right about that. Um, you know, Tim, Tim Markham used to always say back in the storm days that, uh, you know, he was only – as good a coach as his quarterback and his kicker. That's kind of how it goes. You know, they're, they're obviously struggling. They, um, you know, for many years, the Flyers elected not to, not to blow it up and and rebuild and they tried to slow play it. And I think, you know, maybe that's, you know, I'm I'm not really, I can't really speak to them, but uh, maybe that's catching up with them a little bit. You know, if if you're going to slow build over, you're not going to blow it up in one fell swoop. If you look at a team that, you know, did that like like the New York Rangers. You know, they they blew it up, and they they told their fans, you know, we're going to blow it up, and we're going to start from scratch, right. and we're going to get draft picks. A lot of the draft picks were were from us, uh, oddly enough, and in their rebuild, uh, you know, as we 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 got a lot of their players, you know, in the Ryan McDonoughs, um, and Ryan Callahan's, and that kind of stuff. Um, so. You know, that's it, different ways to do it. You know, organizations can pick their different ways they they want to do it. Uh, obviously, it's worked for the Rangers. You know, we played them last year in the, in the playoffs in the conference final, and, and they're having another great year this year. So it's worked for them. You know, it, it, they had a few lean years, but it's certainly paying off for them now. Um, and they made a strong know, trade, too, right? They made a strong trade, right? Uh, yeah, and what, signed, uh, you know, they signed – Yeah, they signed Panarin. Um you know, obviously, which is going to help any team. Uh, but, you know, it, it, the, the Flyers elected not to blow it up, and they're trying to do it slowly. Um, so, I mean, I guess it's just uh, are you ripping the Band-Aid off quickly or just kind of taking it off slow, you know, that type of, Roger. That type of mentality. Yeah, well, I, the, uh, I agree. I think that's exactly uh, what they're doing. But, you know, uh, they, right now they're a game under 500, and uh, considering what they were in, in recent years. But uh, getting back to the uh, the Lightning, the do you, what what do you think uh, their their strategy will be? Uh, will they be able to? Um, well, hopefully they will make up some of the uh, the differential. Uh, I mean, it's going to obviously you, you may not ever uh, catch up to Buff or to uh, Boston, uh, but uh, 
can they get up, uh, um, you know, within, uh, like, second place, do you think, Brian? Well, I mean, certainly anything's possible. Um, but I, I know, you know, the focus, the focus here is to, is to be playing, and John Cooper has said this on multiple occasions, the focus is to, be make, is to ensure that you're playing the right way uh, come the playoff time. Um, we've, we've won the cup, uh, you know, as not, not a, uh, number one seed, you know, not even having home ice, we won the cup, you know? Um, so I, I don't know that, that being in that one, two spot, um, is of major concern or consequence, um, to our team mentality at all. I think it's just making sure that, that we're playing the right way heading into, heading into the playoffs. Obviously, you want so to win. What are your thoughts on Vangelisky this year? Uh, he, he met with managers. He met with the uh, uh, goal coaches and, and talked about changing his pattern, getting a little bit more rest. Uh, maybe you did, some of the folks along the network that are uh, listening uh, uh, don't know exactly what the transition was there and why he wanted to do what he wanted to do. Uh, maybe you touch on that. Yeah, not not really exactly sure what you're – what you're referring to, if there's a specific story or not. Um, but, but generally, you know, Vassy can play. Take your more time off. Yeah. I mean, we've, that we've been doing, they've been doing that for years. Um, the last couple of years, you know, Vassy's kind of one of those, he's a horse that if you, uh, if you, if you take, let him out of the pen, like he'll just, he'll just run. So sometimes, you know, you gotta, you gotta put the reins on him and, you know, maybe he doesn't take a morning skate. Um, and he's kind of adapted, uh, that method where he, he doesn't necessarily take morning skates uh, anymore when he's, when he's playing, he rests for the game and that's can't argue with the results. Um, he's still one of the best goalies, if not the best goalie in the, in the world. And we're extremely lucky to, to have him. But uh, yeah, sometimes um, I got to, man- we got to manage the workload. Um, luckily we've got a capable backup in, in Brian Elliott, who's a former Vezina trophy winner. Um, and and it's, when he's in the net, you know, we, we have just as good a chance uh, of winning as we do in Vassie's in the net if we play the right way. Roger? Well, you know, I've, I've always wondered about the oper- the chance that uh, Atlanta will get back in the NHL uh, because it wasn't for lack of fan support uh, with either team. Uh, and obviously with the Thrashers uh, going to Winnipeg, uh, that was a, a big financial deal for the league. Um, but uh, is there any scuttlebutt uh, within side the NHL about uh, Atlanta uh, winding up with the team again? Brian, do you hear that at all? Nope. No, I, no, I haven't heard anything, anything like that. There's other, there's other markets um, that are mentioned more than, uh, than Atlanta. I have, not, I have not heard that at all. Well, Brian, I, I want to thank you so much for spending a half hour with us. I'll tell you I did appreciate. I wish you the best of luck coming down the whole stretch. I wish you the best of luck getting into the Stanley uh, Cup tournament. And uh, if Coop can just continue doing what he's doing, they're going to keep winning. And uh, you got a lot of support. Thank you very, very much for joining us. Thanks. Have a, have a great evening. Rest in peace, Tom Gilbert. And um, talk to you soon. Amen. Thanks a lot, Brian. Take care. Will do. Yeah. Take care. Brian Breesman, of course, our guest, but we're going to jump now. We, we're jumping around. Football, we start off with the Super Bowl. Then we go to the National Hockey League. But now we're going to get uh, one of our baseball executive consultants. I mean, uh, somebody that really knows something about baseball. Mike Matthews is going to join us right now. He's been in that, he's been in that chair at the top, 
as, as an official scorer for 108 years now. He's been coaching college, college baseball for 109 years. And now he's been on with us for 10 years. So, Mike, first of all, uh, are there any major rule changes before we get to some of the other things on the baseball front? Well, first of all, it's good to be back. It's great to hear you guys uh, getting after it again. Sorry, I had to take a little hiatus. Um, there are some rule changes. <clears throat> I'll go through them, and, and I'll go through them quickly. Number one, the bases are bigger. They've added an inch and a half on each side of the base. We experimented with this in the minor leagues, and stolen base attempts were up 27%. Really? That doesn't mean successful steals. That just means attempts. Right. So when they, they didn't publish the successful steal numbers, but the, the attempt numbers were up 27%. Uh, the back edge of the infield has been brought in two feet, so the arc is now 95 feet from the front center of the rubber as opposed to 97 feet, which brings the infielders in a little bit closer even when they play back. There's no shift allowed anymore. Every player has to be where they're designated to play with some interesting exceptions. You could, uh, you could have a runner in motion. You could start the shortstop as the pitch or the second baseman as the pitch is being thrown. You could start them towards the middle of the infield. That's not illegal. But somebody's going to figure out a way to rock that rule just a little bit. And the final rule change is the pitch clock. And um, some of my colleagues from MLB are in uh, Houston this week going over the pitch clock with a college tournament that's being played in Houston. Um, if there's no one on, the pitcher receives the ball back from wherever. The pitcher has 14 seconds to release the next pitch. If there's someone on base, the pitcher has 19 seconds to throw the next pitch. Well, this has made but a dramatic did, difference at the minor league level. Yeah, it, it made uh, about a 18-minute difference in length of game. Um, you know, the thing that we could cut back on is commercial time for TV, but that would never happen. So, you know, you get two and a half minutes of commercials every half inning. That's five minutes per inning times nine innings. That's 45 minutes of the game just in commercials. But they can't change that because of the gargantuan uh, TV contracts. So what they're trying to do is just speed up the time. For example, um, Henley Jansen averaged 27 seconds per pitch last year. 27 seconds. Now yeah, he's going to have... the slowest in the league, though. Sure, yeah, but, you know, you, you, you've got to try to find a way to do it. So the only way to do it is to go with 14 seconds with nobody on, 19 seconds with someone on base. The right. other rule change is you can throw to first base three times. If you throw the third time and you do not get the pickoff attempt successfully completed, the runner gets second base. Oh, that's well, Mike, Mike Matthews, our special guest this half hour. There are the rules for you at the beginning of 2023, which uh, I think are going to make a, a major difference in the, in the game, to be honest with you. I think it's going to go faster. I think there's going to be more uh, activity on the bases. As you said, the number of attempts, I don't know how many times they were successful. Uh, you indicated they didn't print that, but I think it's going to be a, make a big difference. Roger, we'll let you get into the baseball front. With Mike, go ahead. Well, I'll tell you, it was a uh, great season uh, last year uh, for the Phillies, Mike, and uh, 
the uh, making it to the World Series very unexpectedly. Uh, let's take a look at the, the the leagues this year and how do they look uh, in your mind uh, going into the uh, 2023 season? Oh man, that's that's a really really tough question. There were so many good players that that changed teams and so much money that was out there. Um, I I think that though the All Star break is usually a good indicator of who's going to hang on and win a division. I don't think that's true anymore. You know, they've changed the schedule. I can't even explain how they've changed the schedule. I mean, I've looked <laughs> at it a hundred times, and I'm not even I'm not even going to attempt. They don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, you're playing 25% less teams in your own division, 25% less, and you're playing 30% more interleague games. So what they're trying to do is appeal to the fans. But what does that do to pennant races? I think it's going to be a really interesting season, and I think you're going to find four, five, six teams maybe that are bunched in at least half the divisions in Major League Baseball as we enter the last six weeks of the season simply because there's no real divisional play because so much has been cut out of it. And that's pure speculation on my part, but it sure makes sense when you look at the numbers. I know you, uh, you know, you're a different category in terms of uh, evaluating this money that's being spent, but I mean, the New York Mets right there now working about uh, what in the uh, in the penalty clause about ninety nine million dollars something like that over the cap, uh, and of course the owners. Uh, the big article in the Post over the weekend. Uh, some of the owners are very uh, upset about what Mr. Cohen is doing, and as he said, "Well, you manage your club, I'll manage my club. I'm working <laughs> within the rules, and uh, if I want to spend ninety nine dollars, ninety nine million dollars over the cap, that's my business." What do you what do you think, Mike? I don't think there's anything you can say to that because he's completely right. You know, the the owners and uh, have made their own bed. Now they have to sleep in it. And to have a guy like Cohen, who who seems to be wholly committed to you know the Yankees, we always look at the Yankees and say, oh, you know, they're just buying talent. Cohen is coming right out and saying, yeah, I'm buying talent. What are you going to do? It's my team. I mean, it's. It's it's a pretty unique, transparent, honest approach to building a major league club. I I I can't say there's anything wrong with that, um, as as long as what he's doing is gonna is gonna produce a winner. Um, my son-in-law is a huge huge Mets fan, and I get texts and articles from him every day saying, "What do you think? What do you think? What do you think?" I think Mr. Cohen's uh, either a, a smart man, or he's going to be. Uh, He's going to be scratching his head at the end of the year going, gosh, what did I really do? But I think he's going to have some success. I think the Mets are a heck of a team right now. Well, he won't be as wrong as I am saying Mike instead of Bill. <laughs> Bill Matthews. <laughs> I, know he, I know he's not going to be as wrong as that. Go ahead, Roger. No. Well, I think the, I, I agree with you. The, uh, the, the Mets are a, a really strong team. And uh, – I, I, and I do see, like you said, you're going to see teams uh, all botched up, you know, going into the last month, six weeks of uh, the season. Uh, and hopefully that's the way it is, because that'll make for a great end of the season run uh, for uh, for both leagues. The Let me ask you, Mike, you know, the uh, talking about uh, in the past about the Angels, 
and Mike Trout, uh, you know, never having tasted uh, postseason uh, baseball. Uh, and they spent a lot of money over the recent years. Uh, what do you think? Uh, what's their chances of uh, getting uh, getting a lot better this year? You know, it's it's hard to say because the uh, the ownership group is is I don't know what the right word is unpredictable. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they they've they've changed managers a couple of times. Um, Trout can't carry that team by himself anymore. I mean, he's one of the top ten players in the league, but is he the kind of player that can carry a team on his shoulders? Maybe for half a season, but for a whole season? I mean, that's a lot to ask. You know, what, what's really changed baseball is, is airline travel and guys having to go across in the country. That's going to increase with the new schedule because you're playing so many interdivision games. You're going to be flying a lot more. And as a result of that, I mean, it's not easy to fly. It, you know, it, it takes a lot out of your body. Um, I mean, you know, you, you, the, the, the playoff question is is a good question, but, I, you know, we don't see on the East Coast, we don't see the Angels enough to know how they're going to be. Trout is a, is a warrior. I mean, he's he, if, you, if I'm going to pick a team, I'm going to pick him either one or two because he's going to play every single day and he's not going to complain. You got other guys who complain about hangnails. You know, he, he could have a nail in his he could, he could have a nail in his face and he wouldn't complain. He's a hockey guy playing baseball. Um, <laughs> Bill, you're gonna you, you're uh, you've been there since day one here in, in Tampa with uh, the Rays and for the best days of the Devil yeah, Rays and everybody else. It's Bill. Right. Bill what, what's your what's I'm your sorry. thought about? The, I talked to Frank about this at the top of the show when they came out last week. Uh, with this proposal that they're going to build housing and they're going to build a new ballpark and they're going to do all this. First of all, the, the lease only has a couple of years to go. You've been there since day one. What, right. what do you see coming up? That's a really, really good question. My, my, my gut instinct is to answer it with my own opinion, and that's, that's the only one I have. That's <laughs> I all we all have. The, <clears throat> I think they're going to move the stadium from where it is on the 16th Street side of the block. They're going to move it east to the 9th Street, MLK Street side of the block, which is going to open up all the parking areas. It's going to open up the area where the stadium now stands, and they're going to put affordable housing, luxury condos, restaurants, shopping area, around a 24,000-seat stadium. I don't think the stadium is going to leave St. Pete. I don't think it's going to leave where it is. I think it's going to move about a quarter mile east and the, in the uh, land that it has, and they're going to rebuild. When they build the stadium, they'll move the team under cover of darkness, implode the old stadium, and start rebuilding the gas plant district. A lot of people got moved well, out. Let, of me, let me bring Frank in now because Frank's pretty much uh, on top of what's going on with politically. And, and Frank, yep. how about some of your thoughts? This, can this happen in two and a half, three years? No. Absolutely not. <laughs> The funding isn't in, in place yet. That's one. Number two, you have to settle the ground. You have to, to do a lot of uh, construction, and there's a lot of permitting has to be done, which can't be done right away. Uh, my, like I said before, I think we're looking at a three- to five-year uh, plan that uh, the city needs to have something positive come out right now, and that's what, what they did. They went, went with the shortest time. 
the architectural firm can't even have the drawings done and approved uh, in the time limit that they put up. So it's a, just a PR ploy. It's a, uh, it, actually what I think it is, is a last chance to keep the Rays here, to keep his money here. Uh, and I think that's what it is. I, don't, I know Ken doesn't have the, the votes on council to uh, float the bond that they're going to have to vote. And he's going to have to work on that too. Okay, we'll hold that one right there. Roger, it's up to you. We'll get back to baseball. I, I just can't believe it. I'm, I'm reading these stories. How can you do this in two and a half years, three years? I mean, to me, it takes normal, at least five years to have a program where you have a stadium up and everything else. But, you know, maybe they know something I don't know. Roger, go ahead. Well, the the only thing that uh, I can relate to, and, Bill, uh, I just heard this this afternoon because uh, – uh, Clark Hunt was on with Chris Russo on uh, the Mad Dog Radio. And uh, in Kansas City, uh, they have eight more years. The the, uh, two stadiums are 50 years old now. And they have eight more years. uh, And they said that they would have to, within five years, decide because the Royals want to move downtown and build a new stadium. And, of course, they're partners, you know, the two teams where they are now. So they would have to know within five years whether they're going to uh, uh, redo, remodel Arrowhead Stadium or whether they would eventually knock that down if the Royals move downtown. And so there you go, just like Don was saying, Bill. I mean, the Clark Hunt was talking about they've got to know for a firm within five years because then it's going to take them three years to build a new stadium, a new ballpark and, and everything. That's number one. And I can remember when the, the Braves announced they were going to go out to uh, Smyrna to Cobb County. Uh, it took uh, two years to, uh, to build uh, the new ballpark. And there it was easy to get permits because uh, the, uh, the county was all for it. They were the ones that really, uh, did uh, you know all the uh, the grunt work uh, with permits and everything else, and everything that has happened there uh, is just like you're saying that they want to do in St. Pete and Gwinnett, uh, the Stripers, the the Braves AAA. They have done the same thing there at their ballpark. I mean, with restaurants and condos and apartments all over the place. But you're right; it, it takes time. So, what do you think, Bill? Well, I, I think there's a couple of things that, that need to come into play. <clears throat> Tampa has to come up with a lot of money to do this if they want the franchise. The The Raymond James contract runs out in 2027, oddly enough, the same year that the Rays contract runs out. Um, the Lightning are, are fine at Amelie. Their contract still has another decade or so on it. The question is, does Tampa want to forfeit some of the money that they've sunk into the Bucks in order to bring the Rays and have a third professional team in their city? And if they do, where are they going to put it? There's a lot of questions involved. They had an opportunity to, to raise, I don't know what it was, $100 million uh, last year, and they didn't do a real good – they came up with like 16. They didn't do a real good job of it. 
you know, all we see, and I don't sit in the front office, thank God. All we see is what we read and what we hear. Uh, but I, I just don't think a penny is going to be moved from the Bucks coffers to the Rays coffers in order to make the Rays move across the bay. I just, I just don't, I don't see that happening because the Bucks are such a, a fixture. They've been there for 40 years, for goodness sakes. Well, as I say, well, it's uh, really interesting right now because we've had Pat Waves on a number of times, and he's been trying to, you know, work uh, a deal somewhere where they can move the team, uh, you know, down to Orlando. Uh, there are a couple of other cities. I, I only see, uh, you know, maybe a couple of cities. Charleston would be, uh, not Charleston, but Ch- uh, uh, Charlotte. Charlotte. Yeah, Charlotte would be yeah. one of the cities I would say would have a chance. Um I don't know. I, I just don't know that there are that many places you can go anymore, Bill. Yeah, I think I think Major League Baseball is wholly committed to trying to keep two teams inside the state lines in Florida. Just for the, the spring training impact, for the Major League Baseball impact, uh, I, I think they're committed to They haven't come out and said that, but I, I think they're committed to trying to keep two teams here. Roger? And I, and well, I, I think the owner wants well. to keep them here as well. Well, the uh, it makes sense. I mean, uh, because Florida is just uh, booming, as we know, uh, for many reasons. Uh, but the uh, you know, getting back to the Braves, the uh, and what happened there, Bill, as you probably know, uh, just like the headline said in the uh, Journal Constitution after that announcement, the mayor rode the wrong horse because he put all his uh, efforts into. Uh, the Falcons with Mercedes-Benz Stadium, whereas they only are there what, I mean, even now with soccer, you know, with 40, maybe 50 uh, events a year, maybe a little more. But uh, with with the Braves, you're talking about 81 games plus any preseason and any uh, postseason, which they consistently have. So, uh, you know, just like you were saying about the Bucks and and the Rays, this was the perfect situation in Atlanta where uh, they didn't uh, like, I mean, Turner Field was only 20 years old when they left and was a great place. But that that surrounding area was not, and the mayor rode the wrong horse. And, you know, that happens. Yeah, our mayor, Mayor Welch, uh, his family was displaced from the gas plant district when they built the stadium. And I think he's committed to trying to do something to to try to bring a neighborhood back to that area along with a stadium to that area. Can it be done? Mm-hmm. Man, I don't know. You know, it used to be an oil refinery sitting on that land. I don't I don't know. It's I'm I'm not an engineer or an architect, but uh I you know, I I love being able to drive 8 minutes from my house and be in my seat. So <laughs> I, I, I don't know how Can't long that's gonna last, but I hope it's not. Nah, that's I, the unfortunate part about the people in Tampa. They don't want to. They don't want to drive over the bridge to come to St. Petersburg. That's one of the. It's, <laughs> it's exactly right. It's like, it's like they're the driving problem, to Miami. Biggest problems they're having. <laughs> I agree, hundred. Bill, let's get back to but, baseball for a minute. Uh, you just outlawed all the or out uh, diagrammed all the new rules. Uh, how do you think it's going to affect? You talked about the. The scheduling, you talked about the, the time clock, you talked about the pitching, the, the pickoff move, you talked about all that. How do you think it's going to affect the game in 23? I think it's going to increase run production. I think it's going to give guys an opportunity, hitters, to have a better rhythm 
at the plate because there's going to be less dead. Um, I think it's going to give base runners more confidence. Uh, number one, because of the bigger bases, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm kind of stymied until I see what that base looks like. I mean, they could look like three balloons sitting out there in the infield, uh, but I think it's going to give them, it's going to give them more confidence in uh, base stealing. Um, I think the general offensive side of the game is really going to be increased. And I think it's going to take pitchers longer than hitters to adjust to it because of the time clock. Roger. Well, it makes sense. And uh, with the, that statistic that you mentioned, Bill, really hits me. What was it? 28%. I think you said there were more 27% more stolen base attempts. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That, that's and just I, confidence. That's all that is. It, that's what it is. It's confident that you can uh, do that and uh, make uh, and make it work. That's the only way I I look at it. But uh, if, if it makes baseball, I think I love the idea. No more shifting. You know, they have to. Uh, I I like I like that idea. But it's playing baseball the way Don and I talk about the way we grew up with it. You grew up when Frank grew up with it. We're going to have a back-in-the-day conversation now, huh? Yeah, <laughs> back-in-the-day, right. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, I, think, I, think, I think baseball needed offense, and I think um, as, as interesting as these changes are, they've, they've tested them out at the minor league level. They've worked, quote-unquote, and, you know, you're not dealing with major league egos, but it's going to be interesting to see some of the feedback you get from the big leaguers. But the rules are rules, so we're just going to run with it. Bill, let's get uh, back to your club here in, in uh, St. Petersburg. Uh, the Rays actually started off very, very slowly in doing anything uh, uh, with free agents or anything during the trading time or whatever. Uh, but when you look at the uh, ratings now at the end with the, some of the players that they've signed, some of the moves that they made, which they normally do right near the end of of uh, or the beginning of spring training and then during spring training, they've moved up a little bit in their. Uh, uh, as you look at the overall rating, they talk about what the Mets did, and of course what the Braves did, what, and and uh, so forth. But uh, Tampa's moved up a little bit in the ratings. They're, they got almost a C plus rating now. You know, I uh, I recruited college athletes now for 28 years, and I I thought I was pretty good at it. These guys are so much smarter than I am. I mean, they're, they're looking at players and, and being able to project what the player's going to give them this year, next year, and then in the third year, and they're investing money into guys that people outside of the organization are going, really, what? They're, they're way smarter than all of us. I mean, this organization is remarkable. I don't have another word. It's remarkable in how they can, in how they can project talent. It's just unbelievable how they can project it. And uh, I'm, I'm in awe of what they do. Whether they win the American League championships or not, um, they're not wrong real, real often. And that's pretty fascinating to me. Well, they certainly haven't been wrong in the last eight or nine years. I mean, every, uh, almost every move they've made has kept them right in contention. They've been right there uh, challenging one, two, and three. And uh, unfortunately, you know, it's hard to believe it, that, that they've been this good and this consistent and they just can't get over the hump with fans coming in the stands. It's just a shame. Well, you know, Florida's a strange place. There's a lot of amusement parks. There's a lot of places to go. There's the beach. There's, 
you know, the, the list is on and on. Um, it's an entertainment center. People are dropping a hundred, two hundred, three hundred, a thousand dollars during the day to go to Disney World. You know, do you have the money? Do you have the interest to go to a baseball game? I mean, it's it's a tourist mecca. It's it's really I, there's only so much to go around, and and unfortunately, uh, you know, right now the fan base isn't. Uh, is, but the race is coming out with new ticket plans. I saw today that they're going to have uh, several areas of the ballpark where the ticket's going to be ten dollars. Which is a great idea. Great idea. They'll go to a game for ten bucks. They'll go to a game for ten bucks. They won't go to a game for one hundred and fifty bucks to sit behind home plate, but they'll go for ten bucks for sure. Well, Well, they say it's Yankee Stadium because they put they put a product on the field every game. It's uh, it's you know very very competitive, and you look at, uh, for instance, you know if you're in Cincinnati right now, they've already written them off. They're saying. You know, Cincinnati doesn't have a chance to win, what, 60, 70 games. I mean, yeah, right, uh, right. I mean, you know, you're going to spend your money to go to, you know, the world's famous ballpark and a team can't win anything? It doesn't make any sense to me. The balance is just way, way out of, out of, out of, well, out of you joint. Guys, you guys are Philly guys. Were you surprised when the Rays signed the Philly pitcher? Did you really think he was worth that kind of money? Did you think he was going to no. go to a team to be a contender? No, they did. No. So that's yeah. what I mean. What do they yeah. see in him that we don't? It's it's incredible what they do. Now, it would have surprised me for him to come out and go eleven and five or or twelve and six. No, it wouldn't surprise me at all because that's why they picked him up. But you guys live in Philly. You guys watch the Eagles. You watch the the, the Phillies. You watch all the Philadelphia teams, and and all of a sudden they pick this guy up, and it's like what? But there's a reason. <laughs> Well, Bill, you know, thank you, know, you very, very think... much for another enlightening half hour. And uh, I'll tell you, we're going to have you on many times during the course of the season. We'll get a chance to evaluate this team and what's happening with all the new rules because uh, you outlined it pretty well for us. Thank you very much, well, as always. Bill, I appreciate always you guys. A pleasure. Thank you very we much. God love Tommy so G much. and God love you guys. You too. Take care. You got that right. All right. Bye-bye. All right, Mike Matthews, who, of course, joins us uh, during the regular season as well. He's a scorekeeper at the, at the Trop for such a long period of time, since day one almost, and has been a, a college coach for just about as many years. Uh, terrific, terrific guy. But now we go to Mike Zimzak. And, uh, which, way to, which way do you want to go down the Baltimore, Washington area right now, Mike? What's happening down there? Oh, uh, where do I start? Uh, well, I was enjoying a nice glass of wine with my wife, but I had to cut that short so I could talk to y'all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how y'all doing this week? Everything is good. I mean, you know, all we can say is uh, a little bit cold where you were, and uh, maybe you give an observation, first of all, of the Super Bowl. Everybody else has an observation on the Super Bowl. Let's get uh, some of your impressions because you follow the Ravens as well as the Washington Commanders. So give us a thought on the Super Bowl first. Uh, it's weird to think that the Eagles are going into a Super Bowl as favorites. Uh, but uh, if the Eagles' defensive line is able to do what they have done throughout so much of the season, 
and get after the quarterback and make uh, make Patrick Mahomes play off schedule, make him uncomfortable, uh, get the sacks, get the pressures, then I think that the Eagles will, will win. Uh, if Patrick Mahomes can sit back there and pick out Jason Kelsey and whatever receiver he decides to find on that given day, then it might be a little bit close. Uh, I do not think that the Eagles, although the uh, Chiefs defense is not one of the best ones, it's not as good as the 49ers defense that they faced a couple of weeks ago, but I don't expect that they'll be able to run through them like they did either the Giants or the uh, 49ers. And I think that we're going to have to see how healthy Jalen Hurts' shoulder is because I think that he's going to make, have to make some throws. But I also feel confident with Dallas Goddard and uh, Devontae Smith and um, A.J. Brown catching passes. Yeah. So uh, I think it's going to be a close one. I think the Eagles cover. I'm going to give it uh, – 3028. 3028. That covers that covers one and a half. <laughs> you're right. Roger, you're up. Okay, well, I was going to say in that range, uh I you know, could be I think the uh difference uh, if, uh with the Eagles winning, I think it'll be more than two, but uh no, I agree with you, Mike, uh about it. Uh but I also I think that uh, the offensive line of the Eagles is good enough that they can open up some of those holes. And uh, they, when you look at the matchups on the defensive, uh, the uh, the uh, different the teams' defensive lines, the Eagles is far superior in many ways uh, to uh, to the uh, to the Chiefs because they have so much depth. You, we talked about this earlier. How do you feel about that? The Eagles come at you in waves. What is it, 11 guys? With, or, or, how many players did they have with four and a half sacks? I know they had four players who had 11. Yeah. Uh, the Eagles' defense is going to come at you in waves. Uh, they are just that good and that fast. And let's not forget that the Eagles' secondary um, – at points in time this year, the, the tandem of Bradbury and Slay were rated as the top secondary, the top set of corners in the league. Uh, I think that they are going to make life tough on Patrick Mahomes. I just think Patrick Mahomes is really that good. Like he, he, He's able to do stuff off script that I don't think that we've ever seen a quarterback in the NFL be able to perform off script um, as well as Patrick Mahomes does. Mahomes does, and to be able to throw from so many different arm angles, like he does, he just has that way. Right when you think you've got him, of getting that ball out. If it's in the general vicinity of Travis Kelsey, Kelsey's going to uh, catch it, and that's a matchup nightmare. Because if there's one place on the defense where the Eagles uh, Art strong, and we've been saying this for years. If there's one place where the Eagles' defense isn't exactly the strongest, it's that linebacker. Well, they haven't concentrated. Well, the thing that Bill Wardell uh, pointed out last week, and uh, Billy, of course, uh, sees every Eagle game, part of the broadcast team 
for the Eagles, and he talked about the fact that in the Giant game as well as the 49er game, the Eagles ran the ball 44 times in both games and ran it very, very effectively against, you know, even though San Francisco lost their quarterback and they were pretty much out of it in the second half. But they still ran the ball 44 times. His belief is they're going to run the ball 44 times against Kansas City as well, that that is going to be their strength. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, the offensive line in the, in the run game is going to be what makes or breaks it for the Eagles. If they are able to run the ball 44 times against the Chiefs, that probably means that they're playing from in front, and that's a mm-hmm. really good place to be. Right. Well, I don't see Andy Reid running the ball 44 times in a game. Do you guys? No, I do not see him running it 44 <laughs> times. I don't see Andy Reid running the ball 44 times in a season. Right. <laughs> well, I do. I, I think this is going to be a little bit of a matchup of coaches. We talked about it in the first half hour with Roy Cummings uh, about the fourth down situations. The Eagles lead the, the league in, in fourth down, trying to make conversions on fourth down in relatively good positions. And I think, uh, and so did Roy Cummings, and so does Roger. Get your observation, too. Do you think these two teams that they're on the 44-yard line or 45-yard line are, in fact, and it's uh, fourth down and two, that's the way they're going to play it? I know the Eagles will because that is what they do. If they are across the 40 on either side of the ball or on either side of the 50, they're, they're going for it. And that's how they set up their offense, uh, Sirianni and Station believe that if you get into, you know, past their own 40, it's four-down territory for them. So even on third down, you know, if it's third and six, they may just go, we're not, we don't need to get all six yards on third down. We can take four and then, you know, worst case scenario, they have probably the most devastating quarterback sneak formation that this league has ever seen to the point where I wouldn't be surprised if you see a rule change to prevent it. You know, they know that when they get in the fourth and short, they can just line up heavy with Jason Kelsey and Jordan Malata and those guys clearing the way, and they're going to get that short yardage because they've been able to do it so effectively. So they they get down on the ground. They're down low. They just push everybody out. Yeah, and it works, and it continues to work. And it's like watching a rugby scrum when they do it, and it's just so effective. And there almost is no way to stop it. Um, You know, Andy Reid is not the most aggressive coach when it comes to fourth down. And you're right, Roger, that might be – that aggressiveness in this game may be – an edge for the Eagles. If they're able to capitalize, that may be what gives them the advantage because they'll go in saying, like, look, this is how we're going to play the game. We're going to be aggressive. Everything that I've heard out of Philly and around the team this week says that, you know, they're going in, they're going to play this game like they've played every other one. And, you know, I can't say that that's a bad mindset to have. When you've got 14 wins, you know, you've won a lot of games. You go in there and you treat this one like any other game, like any other opponent. Hopefully they understand the nuances, like the extended halftime and all the pomp and circumstance, and they don't get too riled up too early. But you really kind of do have to treat this like another game. Roger? Roger? 
Roger? Patient car 54, where are you? Yeah, there we go. There we go. You know what I was going to say? I thought we lost you, Roger. No, you know what happened? I, I just put it on mute for a minute. The uh, What I was saying, Mike, is uh, we talked about it earlier, uh, watching the replay last night of the Super Bowl five years ago, the Philly special. And uh, whether we might see the Philly special uh, resurface uh, in this uh, Sunday's game, and Roy thinks that it could be on uh, one side or both sides where they would have a, a backyard type of play. What do you think about that? You know, what I have, I haven't seen Nick Sirianni go to the trick play a ton over the course of the season. I'm not saying that he hasn't, but I just can't remember when he did that. They seem to be a team that's going to do what they do, and their belief is if we execute the way that we need to, we don't need the gimmicks we're going to get out there. Um, mm-hmm. Not to say that they won't do it. You know, this is the Super Bowl. Uh, if, they, if there's ever a time to pull out all the tricks, this is it. So I am not expecting it, but that's the beauty of the Philadelphia, the Philly special. Did you see it coming? I didn't because I know that I didn't because the Patriots didn't either. No, so right. would I be surprised if they pull something like that out of the hat when they need it? No, but I can't say right now that that's what I'm expecting to see. 50 over under. Mike, what do you think? Uh the over-under is 50? Yeah. Uh, well, considering I went 30-28, I'm going with the over because I, I do think that you've got two offenses that can move the ball. Roger? Well, that's a good, that's a good score. Uh, and and uh, I'll tell you, you're, you're probably in the majority, Mike, about that. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go. I like that score. The more I think about it uh, – uh, but I think we'll know early on, uh, you know, if the Eagles can get the uh, lead like they like to do, that changes everything. So we'll see. Go ahead, Roger. Don, what do you think? I, I think it's going to be I, – I agree. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I don't think it's going to – you know, I, I think uh, if I were playing, uh, uh, I'd play it over. I think they're going to both – I think they're both going to score in the 30s. I'll tell you one prop that I like. I like Boston Scott to get a touchdown. Well, they, you know, he's the giant killer. But uh, Kenny, Kenny Gainwell, Gainwell, boy, I'll tell you what, he's really surfaced. Well, yeah, and he's been a great foil for um, Miles Sanders. I don't know if Kenny Gainwell is the guy that you can trust to be your primary running back, but when you watch how Miles Sanders runs and then they get Kenny Gainwell with that little burst of speed, um, you know, just how effective that was uh, in both of the playoff games, right? Right. He was, he was super in both of them. Uh, well, Mike, let me ask you this. We switched topics for a minute. Did you stay up to see uh, LeBron James break the record last night or not? 
Was I sad to see it? Um, no, no. no, did, no. You, did you stay, stay up, up to see it? To see it. <laughs> uh, no, I did not stay up to see it. Uh, it's one Leave of those it things. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was uh, I have to work. I have a real job. Right. I did not stay up to see it. Um, you know, congratulations to to, to LeBron James. Uh, being able to break that record is a testimony to just ability and longevity. When you think about how long and at what level both he and Kareem had to play at to get to almost thirty nine thousand points. And well, before I swing, before I swing down to uh, down there to watch the the uh, watch the Baltimore as well, uh, you're right. I mean, we're, the the old record was thirty eight three eighty seven with Kareem. Uh, I was a little surprised, although uh, I guess I shouldn't have been. Will was uh, you know thirty one four nineteen, and when they broke the record last night, I have to take into consideration that uh, when LeBron broke the record last night, he. Uh, uh, Will couldn't play. He Will had to play four years, three years at college at Kansas, and one year with the Globetrotters. So that's four right. years he was taken away. And Kareem, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had to play four years at UCLA, whereas LeBron James came in at 18. So he's got four years ahead of where they were. So uh, congratulations on breaking the record, but he did it, uh, you know, with four extra years. Need, need to put an asterisk there. Pardon? But just think about what it says about Wilton Kareem that they were able to do it without having started at 19 year, 18, 19 years old. Right, I mean, right. Just how dominant both of them. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, a Laker has held the scoring record for the better part of, what, 60 years? Or at least had to be. Yeah, sure. Yeah, because it went from Wilt to Kareem to now LeBron James. Now LeBron. And let's not forget, yeah. George Mikan had it for a long time, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's true. Well, Mike, yeah. thank you very much again. We'll get you next week, and uh, we'll see what uh, what is new, how the Super Bowl goes, and we'll have a great deal of chance yeah. to sort of rehash the whole game. Thanks a lot, Mike. And a lot All right, we'll talk with you next, next week. week. Take care. Mike. Yeah, our our PGA professional is on the line right now, and uh, we talked about what happened with the golf front last weekend, and, boy, mm-hmm. what terrible weather they had out there in California mm-hmm. for that tournament. But uh, we want to get we want we get Doug's uh, comments on the Super Bowl first like everybody else has been. So let's start off with the Super Bowl before we talk golf. Mm-hmm. But, Doug, give us a shot on what you think about the Super Bowl. I'm looking forward to it. I think, uh, you know, last I checked, the over-under was about 51, so it's, you know, moderately paced. I think that um, from what I've been listening to and and, and people are saying that, you know, neither quarterback is 100% healthy. Um, You know, obviously Jalen Hurts' shoulder is an issue in terms of of throwing the football, and and Patrick Mahomes' mobility is is somewhat of an issue, although he looked good, you know, a few weeks back. you know, I think it'll be an interesting game. I think uh, Obi Reed would really love to beat the Eagles. Um, you know, with some of the history there, and you've got all your good storylines with the Kelsey Kelsey playing against each other, and obviously Andy Reid playing against the Eagles, and and um, you know uh, Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes, you're probably top two for for MVP. Uh, <clears throat> so there's 
there's a lot of a lot at stake here. Um looking forward to you know, watching the game and, and um, you know, maybe seeing uh, Rob Gronkowski kick a field goal should be fun. Um, <laughs> be well, I mean, look at, you know, the, the commercials that, that typically surface are, are usually, uh, there's some good ones in there. And, of course, you've got, you know, a hyped up, you know, uh, national anthem and, and also uh, um, halftime show. So, I mean, there's there's a lot, you know, going on and it should be an entertaining venue. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great afternoon, Roger. Yeah, I I also brought up uh, another one of those contributing factors, Doug, is that Andy Reid, when he took over the uh, Chiefs, he got rid of uh, Nick Sirianni, who was the uh, Mm -hmm. wide receivers coach. So, uh, you know, Nick was asked Mm -hmm. about that today, and Nick says, no, no. He said uh, he had his assistant head coach was the receiver. The receivers coach. He said, uh, "It's just a fact of life. It happens in this profession, which I, is well, the truth." You know, you've also got scenarios that that will play out a- after the Super Bowl because uh, I know the, the Ravens have requested a chance to speak with both uh, Eric Bieniemy and and Brian Johnson from the Eagles, uh, their quarterbacks coach. So, um, you know, I think that's kind of the the big thing that I'm listening to here in Baltimore is the continued saga of, you know, Lamar Jackson. And first of all, where is he? Is he at the Super Bowl? No one, no one knows. Um, no one's really said, um, it's been pretty quiet here in the, in the media. Um, you beat you know, me to that question. I was coming up next. Yeah. I wonder anything had actually developed down there about what he's going to well, do. You know, Don, that was a hell of a transition for me right there to, to put those, things in line and then spin it right back to Lamar. So I'm learning from you guys. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, I think that the latest quote-unquote report that we had said that the, the Ravens and Lamar were nearly $100 million apart in um, the negotiation, which I think is obviously the, the guaranteed portion of it. But at the same time, you know, I, I just – the more I think about the puzzle pieces. I just don't necessarily see a scenario where, where Lamar Jackson is going to be the quarterback next year in Baltimore. I just don't I mean the, the, the surefire way is obviously to sign the guy to a long-term deal, which, which means one of the two sides is going to have to relent. Um, I'm, I'm not seeing that or hearing that or feeling that um, if that doesn't happen, you know, everybody says, Oh, we can just franchise tag him. Well, that's a $45 million ticket that the Big Ravens number. don't have to spend. They, they only have 28 to spend. So, you know, <clears throat> if you're going to dismantle some of your team in an effort to create that cap space to get him signed, well, how in the hell are you going to fill in the, the other needed parts? Because everybody here keeps talking about you're going to bring in somebody who's going to revamp the passing game. Well, you don't have a very good wide receiver room, so where are you going to get one of those? And they only have five draft picks. And they wouldn't even have any money to sign their draft picks if I mean they're gonna I mean and that's not to say, you know, their starting left guard Ben Ben Powers, he's not gonna resign. Marcus Peters, their starting corner's not gonna resign. Tyler Huntley's not even under contract. Um I mean they they would have to eliminate seventeen million dollars worth of cap room just to sign Lamar. And then what do you do to fill in the rest of your team? So I just I really don't see it as an option and I think as we get closer if they can't come to some version of agreement uh, that, that both sides are, are happy with, I think a trade is really a viable option to moving forward with the Ravens. I really do. Um, you know, this whole thing has played out in an ugly fashion because in most cases, 
if you have a quarterback that you think is your franchise quarterback and you draft him, about the third year you start negotiating, you know, negotiating with that guy to, to keep him long term because you're going to have Daniel Jones, you're going to have Joe Burrow, and you're going to have uh, Herbert that are all going to resign. Probably Geno uh, Smith, another one that are all going to resign with their respective teams. Right. And it's almost like somebody's waiting for the first domino to fall to say, oh, you know, Geno Smith just and Daniel Jones just signed. Thank God they didn't get a whole guaranteed contract and that we can we can utilize that in terms of signing our guy. <clears throat> you know, so. Roger. Roger. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, I thought that uh, for a while that I, I don't see him being uh, the quarterback uh, on the uh, Ravens this coming season, this season. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, uh, you know, you look at the Browns, uh, how are they going to maneuver, uh, you know, in right. the future uh, with uh, what they have with Watson? I mean, you talk mm-hmm. about a, uh, a, a real uh, issue of being yeah. tied yeah. Uh, with your hands uh, behind your back. That's the Browns. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't well, think they're... the Ravens, they're smart. They don't want to be in that boat. You know, you just – you can't handcuff yourself, and at the same time, you know, you start kicking that can down the road. It's one thing if you have a contract that's, you know, uh, back-end friendly, if you will, that, you know, you see these guys particularly and, you know, sign these longer-term deals, and, you know, they, they wind up cutting or, or releasing or whatever these guys to save money on the cap because of the way the, you know, the, the salary thing is structured, and, you know, if you're guaranteeing a large portion of that contract, I mean, you, it's just not a good business decision to, you know, have a I – mean, and, and my honest opinion is, and, and everybody keeps saying, well, you know, the Ravens are going to hire an offensive coordinator. Well, they are, but to me it's almost like they're waiting for Lamar to sign to pick the coordinator or they're waiting for Lamar not to sign to pick the coordinator. So that, right. You know what I mean? So that they, can, they can pair that up with the right quarterback because now – you know, you've got uh, Aaron Rodgers, who's who the hell knows where he is, all for a four-day darkness period to dark, yeah, you know, dark room. He's in the whatever. he's in the dark room right now. He's yeah. developing film or something. I don't know what he's doing, but you know, he's going to oh. contemplate his future. You've got meditating. Derek Carr. He's meditating. Meditating. He's, yeah. He's probably smoking ganja. He, he um, you've got Derek Carr, who's visiting the Saints, who you know could possibly land a deal there. I mean, you've got. Some quarterback needy teams, and and I keep saying it. I keep saying it that I think the best trade partner for the Ravens is the Houston Texans. I really, really do. And if you're going to trade a quarterback of Lamar Jackson's, you know, talent level, you better be damn sure that you have somebody else waiting or the opportunity to get somebody that you want. Because we've all said this a million times on the show, it's a quarterback-driven league, and if you don't have a good quarterback, you're not going to win. The Ravens are going to win without Lamar Jackson and with Tyler Huntley. It's just not – I mean, I respect the guy in terms of what he's meant to the team as a backup, but I think that's where he kind of belongs. And if if we can put some better pieces around and not be handicapped by a 40-plus million dollar, you know, salary cap number, you know, I mean, that that was the whole reason why they went out to get Roquan Smith and and signed him to a five-year extension. I think it was – um, you know, a harbinger, if you will, of things to come uh, with the direction well, Doug, that all you have to do is look at, the, look at the past history. I mean, 
any any team, you mentioned quarterback-driven, any team that lost their quarterback, where did they go? I mean, they have a second right. quarterback, they have a third quarterback. Other than the 49ers, no right. team has been able to recover from losing a front-line quarterback. That's right. And, you know, no team can win. You know, that, like, you know, you, you, you look at, at some of the teams in, in the NFL that just flat out don't have a very good quarterback. You know, the Falcons come to mind. Uh, you know, the, the Jets tried, but, you know, they just couldn't get it done. They went through three or four guys, um, five guys, whatever they went through. You know, yeah, the Saints, New York Post, uh, they want Rodgers in New York, straight hands all over Rodgers coming to New York. They all want Rodgers to come in with the Jets now. Well, I, I'm not so sure that's a, that's a tremendously good fit. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I I think that the the was it Robert Sala or whatever the head coach is in, in New York. Yeah, Robert Sala. Yeah, I, I think he's I think he's a viable head coach, and I think he's I think that franchise is headed in the right direction. But they're obviously missing a a big piece, which is a quarterback. And you know, I I, I I'm not. They win without one. one. You can't win. It, yeah, it cost them the playoffs, you know, when well, you think about it, you know, this past year. But, see, I also think, too, now, coming out of BYU, that, that quarterback uh, that they have, they picked number two overall, that that guy can flat out throw a football, man. He can spin it. There's no question. So, you know, to me, that seems to be a lack of coaching, a lack of development in terms of being able to get this guy ready to play and get him on the field. There, there have to be, I mean, you know, your, your quarterback's coach, your, your offensive coordinator, your head coach, somebody has to be able to whisper something in that cat's ear to get him. Because the, the fundamentals, the mechanics, that, that guy can spin it. There's no question. And, you yeah, know, but, Doug, I, I they want to they they buy a, or, or trade for a front-line quarterback now to have him sit mm-hmm. behind him for a year. They think he can play. Yeah. Dallas thinks he can play. But he doesn't right. think he's ready to play. He wants to get right. somebody in there that like yeah. Rodgers to give him that one year to work to develop that, whereas next year maybe he'd be able to make that step up. And sure. win now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's possible. I mean, there's some, some good pieces in New York with, uh, you know, their running game and, and their defense and, and some, some wide receiver play. Um, you know, they'll be able to sort some things out in the draft as well. So, you know, I think they're trending in the right direction. I think um, some – some guy on, on uh, 1057 called in and said he was um, – I don't know if he was from Atlanta or whether he, he tuned into the, uh, quote-unquote, the fan version in Atlanta, and they were talking about Lamar Jackson going to Atlanta for uh, a one and a two this year and a one and a two next year. And, you know, I, I mean, there's somebody's going to jump real high if, if, if he's – you know, if the Ravens are going to trade him. But – like I said, I mean, if if you don't currently have a quarterback ready to step in on your roster, where are you going to get one? You know, and if is he still know, negotiating for himself? Oh yes. Yep. Which his mother's involved, I'm, I'm, right? I'm right, sure. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that Eric DaCosta and, and the Ravens brass and Lamar and whether it's his mom or, or whoever have been in rooms already discussing you know, all of this. And I, I think that they've all made some version of pact too. And because I think, I think a lot of this is going to play out after the Super Bowl because I think Roger, you know, like with this whole Sean Payton getting hired and, and this Lamar Jackson contract thing and, and these little, these big stories, if you will, I think are being quelled because I don't think anybody wants to upset the apple cart with this week of Super Bowl and take away from 
you know, all that stuff. So I, I think you're going to see a lot of stuff happen after the Super Bowl with regard to, you know, uh, these quarterbacks we mentioned getting re-signed, um, you know, potential tra- trades, um, you know, different things that, that involve either head coaches or offensive coordinators. I think all that stuff is going to start manifesting itself after the Super Bowl. Well, Roger well, Gale mean, never made a better statement than today, Roger. He said the officiating in the National Football League has never been better. <laughs> <laughs> that was his What's statement. That was his statement today. Well, then that's pretty. Right. That's a pretty sad statement. But you know, uh, <laughs> let me ask. You know, Doug just brought up a uh, an interesting uh, point about Sean McVay. Uh, you know, getting what twenty five million, I think. Uh, yeah, Peyton, you know, yeah. To go, yeah, to go to Denver, right? Yeah. And now, is he worth twenty five? Is a coach worth twenty five million? Yeah. I don't think so. Well, the the better the better question is, I don't know about the monetary value because no no one really seems to care about that. I think that you know, trading a what a first and a third round pick for a coach is is pretty steep, particularly if you're the Broncos and you don't have a whole lot of draft picks anyway. That's right. So, you already gave a lot of them up. You know, to get Russell make Wilson. it out of winning franchise within the next two years, I'll tell you that. Well, he's got his hands full with uh, try, trying to get on the right side of Russell Wilson's career and, and um, you know, taking a look at that roster and figuring out, you know, what he can do with it. Um, right. You know, do, do I think that if Russell Wilson plays better than he did last year, which he has to, um, you know, can they be competitive? I mean, I don't know. I don't I mean the Raiders aren't really that good of a team. Uh, but the but the Chargers and the Chiefs are are certainly you know pretty good. So I mean I'm not I'm not so certain he's going to turn it around. But um, you know it it could take several years for that. You know there was an interesting uh, to, uh, point made today uh, on NFL Radio uh, talking about the Chargers and Jason uh, Herbert or Justin Herbert. We don't mm-hmm. really get to see a lot, and you know he hasn't no. had a, a long. Uh, a long tr- tr- a uh, path through uh, mm-hmm. the uh, the playoffs, you know, deep into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And the question was, uh, Chris Russo asked uh, uh, somebody this question, and it was, are the ch- are Chargers uh, stable in L.A.? And I think that's a good question because mm-hmm. said they come to the game but you don't see the fans on the street. And mm-hmm. and we all know what that means. You don't paraphernalia mm-hmm. is not being sold. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and until you get and I can, I remember when they first uh announced the Chargers were going. Atlanta or uh, Los Angeles is they need pop stars, okay? You know, superstars. You know, just like movie stars. They need that. <laughs> And, you know, the Rams, they were awful this year, but they <laughs> emptied the uh, cart, as Jerry uh, mm-hmm. Jerry Jones said, you know, to win the Super Bowl. But mm-hmm. if you don't, out there, if you don't uh, have uh, a superstar uh, uh, playing for you and a winning record, you're not going to get the fan support. And, uh, and hey, listen, the NFL, uh, they may be, they want to be in that market, but also, if they're not selling all this other stuff, and the team is making a lot of money on all this other paraphernalia, uh, there's a problem. Let's face it. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't. I think that's that's a good point, but I also think that you know that's not relegated. I think just to the Chargers in L.A. I mean, that's you know, uh, you know, Jacksonville's never had. You know, we've talked about this with you know uh, Major League Baseball in Tampa and Pittsburgh and Cincinnati and some of these you know, uh, underachieving teams that have just kept losing. I mean, you know, how much do you love your team and how big is your fan base? Um, well, it shows you get a, co- a good co- a coach and a good quarterback, like you just said about developing. I mean, that's, we talked mm-hmm. about it earlier. I mean, Doug Peterson has done a magnificent job uh, with Trevor Lawrence. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's a shame <laughs> that uh, he went through that fiasco with Urban Meyer. Uh, that was mm-hmm. a disaster last year. <laughs> But now, mm-hmm. now they're packing the stands again. And I can mm-hmm. remember uh, when I was with a couple of my friends, we went down a number of years ago to see Miami and, and Florida play, and then we decided to go to see it was the Colts, and that's when Peyton was playing. The place, it was a, a big crowd. And, but the other thing is that stadium was built to handle the, the Georgia-Florida game. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, when yep. you need 9,000, it wasn't necessarily – uh, for uh, the uh, for the Jaguars, but now that they're winning, the Jaguars are uh, drawing big crowds. Yep. Well, got to win, yeah. boys. You Winning's have to never... win. I don't care what sport it is. You've got to win. Yes, and okay. I guess we can, Don. We can transition again uh, based on win. We we go to to the golf segment, which. Uh, the Pebble Beach, which was uh, what Justin Rose went in. Um, you know, First time since nineteen for him. Yeah, I mean he's he's been a really good player for a long time, and uh, you know it's nice to, nice to see him win again. Um, yeah, he talked you know, about the nice. fact it was so important to to win this tournament because you know he want, he wants to get to the Masters, and this guarantees you the Masters, and he was right on mm-hmm. that fringe as to whether he yeah. was going to get to the Masters by winning. He automatically goes in. Yep, that's that's big time. I mean, that's you know, but you're you're seeing too. I mean, um, you know, you look at the the leaderboard, and you know, we're used to seeing a lot of the same names up there, and it's it's really changing with with a lot of these uh, youngsters and, and guys that you know I wouldn't say that we've not necessarily heard of, but haven't necessarily made a name for themselves either. Yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. You know, well, I talked about that a couple of weeks ago, and true. how deep the you know how deep golf is. And this really proves well, it because these guys run out to the the leave tournament, but at the same time, yeah. these young players are coming up and they're playing well. Well, and that's the thing, you know, the the live tour and all the defectors that went over there um, gave you know so many more people a chance to um, you know take a bite of that apple. Um, you know, losing um, I don't know Bubba Watson and DeChambeau and you know all those guys, you know, gave other people chances. I mean, that's the beauty of the game is that from top to bottom, you know, it's very deep and it's very talented. And, you know, we've talked about this before on the show that on any given week, you know, guys can string a couple good rounds together and find themselves in the spotlight. So, um, you know, it's fun to watch. Hey, we also talked last week about how difficult it was to play right now uh, because of the weather conditions out there in this tournament over the weekend proved us right. I mean, it could play on Saturday. It was there. Mm-hmm. We're out of time, fellas. Uh, Doug, thank you very much once again. Thanks to all our Have guests. Have a great week. God bless. We'll turn it all over to Frank, our Jeff producer. He'll sign us off. Frank? All right, John. Thanks as always, Frank.
These programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, the men and women, women police and fire services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please acknowledge them. They really, at this point in time, need to know that you're behind them. Not everybody wearing a uniform is bad. There's a lot of good people out there working. These, dedicate, these programs are dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcat, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazwitz, Sergeant Thomas Bager, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Henler, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Anafa Crispin, Lakeland PD, Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant Chris Lewick, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, <clears throat> Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police, Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Captain Chris Leach, Wellington Fire Department, Lieutenant Arthur Cope, Wellington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wellington Fire Department, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol, Deputy Chief Mike, I'm sorry, Deputy Chief Al Hogel, Longville Key Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Deputy Mike Hargrove, Pine Ellis County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Blaine Lane, Polk County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Chris Myers, Polk County Sheriff's Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, at some time will be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the rose rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sunshine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the palm of his hand. Thank you. God bless and have a great week. Dispatch to 
Good night, Bob. We love you, Mr.